there are times when unexpected things happen. Things you don't expect to take place that in fact do happen. I found this little video and it's not very good, but this is, for clarity, these are alligators. You can see that, and there's a cat. Now watch what happens. You would think the alligator is going to get some, uh, his lunch. Watch close. (laughs) Something you don't expect to happen. An alligator is is, uh, next to a cat, and the cat jumps up and slaps the alligator, and the alligator takes off. Well, again... Things at times occur that are unexpected and that, that don't really make sense to us. That's the case with the man Elijah, our friend. Last week, we left Elijah in a, in a lurch. For despite his illustrious spiritual resume, how God had worked in his life in innumerable accounts and did different things, providing miracle after miracle for this prophet. Even the earth-shaking showdown at Mount Carmel when all of Israel had gathered to watch this showdown of whose God is the one true God. On that holy mount of Mount Carmel, Elijah challenged the 450 prophets of Baal. The rules were fairly simple. The rules went like this. The prophets of Baal and Elijah, as the lone prophet of God, would take turns building an altar. They would then take a sacrifice, a bull... They would slaughter it, cut it in half, and put it on the altar. They then put firewood around the altar, but neither ignited the wood. The challenge was this, that they would not ignite the wood, not ignite the sacrifice, but have everything in preparation, and the one true God would show himself by blasting that sacrifice and igniting everything around it. Elijah had the prophets of Baal go first. Well, we were told in the scripture that they uh, began to dance around the, uh, the altar, praying and crying out, O Baal, save us! O Baal, answer us! They did this all day long, even to the point of the ritual sacrifice of cutting themselves and blood leaking off. So they did it all day long, but there was not a word that they heard in response. It was in Elijah's turn. Elijah rebuilt the altar of God, set the sacrifice, put the wood. But then he had 12 buckets of water dumped on top of his sacrifice to the point where the bull was drenched, The wood was drenched, 
And even the trench around the sacrifice was filled up with water. Elijah wanted people to know this is not going to be a trick. And then he challenged the people of God. He said, How long will you keep limping between these two opinions? How long will you try to keep your connection with Baal and one foot in the Lord's house? How long will you keep trying to walk in this way? He says, you're limping on both cases. And he challenges them, decide. If you want to go after Baal, then go after Baal. If you want to go after Yahweh God, then get out of the trap of Baal and go, go, go after God. The people didn't respond. But when Elijah offered this prayer, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you're God in Israel and that I'm your servant. Prove that all I have done, I've done all of this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. The whole purpose of this showdown was to get the people of Israel to release their connection to Baal and to follow after the Lord God. When Elijah prayed these words, this fireball from heaven hit, consumed the sacrifice, licked up the water everywhere. And the people fell down on their face, and they answered, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And then Elijah had them to get up and to go chase down the false prophets, and they did. And they slayed them there at the brook Kenneth. If you're not wowed, by this story, let me add this component to it. A thousand years after the event on Mount Carmel, a group of Ishmaelites, Islam Ishmaelites, found this place, and they call it El Mark, meaning the place of burning. A thousand years after this event, there was still great evidence of burn. The rocks were burned. The earth was burned a thousand years later. But then the scene changes. After they get back to Jezreel, there at Mount Carmel, now they tra- all travel back to Jezreel. God had called Elijah to speak to the people and to tell them and to tell Ahab and Jezebel, the king and queen, God is challenging you. And when I ask God to stop the rain, it's going to stop. And for three years, there was drought. And the drought caused a famine. And so Ahab and Jezebel hated Elijah because of the problems with the drought and famine. Ahab was at at Mount Carmel, and he saw what happened. And he saw 
the people bow down before Yahweh. He saw the prophets get slaughtered at the brook Kareth. Elijah tells him after he comes down, he, he tells him, you better get back to Jezreel because it's about to rain. He's going to pray. The three and a half years were over. Elijah prays and the, the rains fall. Elijah goes back to Jezreel as well, the home of Ahab and Jezebel. The, 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 the setting is there. And <clears throat> Elijah is excited. I mean, all of Israel has bowed down before Yahweh. The intent of this whole event was to get Israel to repent. Elijah is excited. Ahab comes, goes into his mansion, and he tells his wife what happened. And Jezebel, despite the people's response to Yahweh, despite all of the prophets being killed, Jezebel says, he's a dead man. She told him, May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them, the prophets. That was the queen. You're a dead man. Now, if we had been Elijah, I, I, I was thinking through this. If I had been Elijah, <clears throat> I probably could have laughed it off, or, or probably would have thought to laugh it off, thinking, girl, you weren't there. You didn't see what God did. All of your prophets are dead. The people have repented and returned to, the, to Yahweh God. <laughs> don't, don't be kidding with me. Uh, don't, don't try to trick a trickster here. It's not going to work. I've been through so much more. Or just shrugged it off, you know? Big deal. I, I'm being led by the hand of God, you know? So what about your words? But Elijah to chose a third option. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. 1 Kings 19, 3 and 4. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah. He left his servant there. He went alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat under a solitary broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. So what happened here? What occurred in this prophet of God's life? I mean, uh, is there an identity issue here? I mean, is this, is this really the same Elijah that was out Mount, Mount Carmel who is now running in abject fear because of this threat from the queen when everything else had happened, what, what's going on here? Well, you've probably heard the phrase, 
the straw that broke the camel's back. It's an Arab proverb that speaks of loading up a camel beyond the camel's capacity to keep going. And the idea is that the camel gets loaded up to full capacity such that even one more straw of hay is going to make him crumble. That was where Elijah was. Elijah was done, exhausted, burned out, raising the white flag of surrender. This was just too heavy for him to bear. The three reasons I've come to this conclusion that Elijah was just done. Number one, while he was sleeping under this broom tree, when he ran from uh, Jezebel into Beersheba, while he was sleeping under this broom, broom tree, here's what God did. God did not confront him. God did not condemn him. God simply met with him to give him rest and refreshment. While he was sleeping under the broom tree, 1 Kings 19.5, the angel of the Lord let him sleep until he, until he miraculously provided him food and water. Elijah went back to sleep, and later the angel provided nourishment for him again. God sent his angel not to confront, not to condemn, because Elijah was done. God let him get rest. God let him sleep. And God ministered to his physical needs. Secondly, not long after this, God brought Elijah a partner. 1 Kings 19, 19 to 21, God sent Elijah to a farmer named Elisha, and Elijah anointed Elisha as his assistant. So not only did God not confront, not condemn, God ministered to him and let him rest. And then God brought him a partner, Elisha, who was actually going to take over Elijah's role as Elijah's role as prophet. And then the third thing that happened, God then swept him up in the wings of a chariot. 2 Kings 2, 11 through 12, while Elijah and Elisha were walking together, they were walking and talking, and suddenly a chariot of fire appeared, drawn by horses of fire. It drove between the two men, separating them, and Elijah was carried away by a whirlwind into heaven. And God said to him, come on home. Elijah was done. And God knew he was exhausted. And so God gave him rest and refreshment. God brought him a partner. And then God swept him up and took him to heaven. But again, why did this happen? I want to look at two points quickly. First of all, the reasons for Elijah's collapse. How did Elijah get to this point? First of all, he was emotionally devastated. Now, walk with me in this for a minute. 
Remember, God called Elijah to confront Israel. Draw a line. Go one way or the other way. And then when God blessed as he did, and God brought this fireball, the people fell down. And they worshipped. And they ran to the brook and they killed the prophets. In Elijah's mind, this had happened. This was a done deal. In Elijah's heart, he has now accomplished this overwhelming odds against the people coming before God and kneeling down, and yet it happened. And now Elijah is in Jezreel. And the whole of the, of the country of Israel, in Elijah's mind, has now returned back to Yahweh God. What God had called him to do had been done. And then this guy runs up to him and says, Jezebel is going to murder you. Jezebel is going to kill you by this time tomorrow. I can't imagine what that must have done to this man of God. I can't imagine the sense of letdown and frustration and fear because he realizes at this point this war isn't over. He realizes there's still going to be more mountains to climb. And he says, I can't do it anymore. You know, what God knew, being sovereign and holy, what God knew that Elijah didn't know at the time was that Israel would never, never return back to God. In fact, in the 200-plus years of their existence of the northern country of Israel, and 19 kings later, all of them wicked, after Elijah and the Mount Carmel experience, and then Jezebel, then Israel, the northern kingdom, went off the map. 200-plus years of existence, 19 kings, every one of them evil in 722 B.C. The nation of Assyria came and wiped Israel off the map. The lost ten tribes, they're gone. The northern kingdom of Israel, destroyed. They would never return. Elijah was not only devastated emotionally, he was physically exhausted. Remember, when he is in Jezreel, remember, he has just run 17 miles faster than the horses and chariots of Ahab's army. He was at least 50 years old when this happened. 
So any 50-year-olds want to run 17 miles faster than a horse? So, I, I mean, just logic will tell you, you're going to be pretty wasted physically. So he's physically tired, physically exhausted. He is emotionally spent after this Mount Carmel deal. I mean, he is reveling in the favor of God, but he is emotionally spent. He is physically exhausted. And when she says what she did, it, it just broke him. He was just done. All of us know that even if the spirit is willing, sometimes the flesh is really weak. And the first six verses of 2 Corinthians 5 tell us that these earthly bodies wither and die. That these bodies were never intended to live forever. And these bodies get old and they die. So we are limited, we are restricted in this world in how we relate to God and how God can use us and what God can do through us, sometimes by the restrictions of our body, of our flesh. That's where Elijah was. But thirdly, he was spiritually numb. Again, on an absolute high, but the exhaustion, the mental emotional and even spiritual exhaustion of going through what he did and then hitting that wall, it, 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 he was done. He was done. I want us to realize that <clears throat> there are times, and we've got to be careful in our own lives, there are times when God uses us and blesses us and we see the miracles of God, we see the blessings of God, there are times when we pray and all God, it seems that all God says is yes, 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 yes. But we know there are times he says no. And if that no is an issue that is very important to us, We can let it crush us. We can take the position that God didn't come through for us. Or that we failed him. Elijah was there. Israel lived returned. And then he got popped in the jaw. And he said, I can't go on. Very quickly, three takeaways from Elijah. <clears throat> number one, takeaway from Elijah's life. Number one, our physical and mental health are very important in our spiritual lives. Our physical and mental health will aid or restrict our spiritual lives. 
they really can. And the best counselors I know of are in our church. Janet and John Berkey. It's John who leads our singing. It's his mom and dad. They're excellent in what they do. And there are times when life gets so crazy and confusing and twisted up that, that we can't even make sense out of who God is and, and his role in our life. There are times that our thinking can get so convoluted that we lose our way. And Christian counselors can be an enormous help. Because the pain you carry from childhood, the pain you carry from trauma, abuse, and those kinds of things can and do affect our spiritual lives. If we're all twisted up emotionally and mentally, and the, the, the Spirit of God speaks to us, it still has to be interpreted from this emotional and mental twistedness. And so it gets convoluted. Our emotional and physical health is very important. Secondly, God defines success in our spiritual life and ministry as faithfulness. He didn't condemn. He didn't criticize. He didn't kick Elijah to the side. He ministered to him. Refresh, refresh, rest and refreshment got him up a helper, and then took him home. No condemnation. Elijah was successful in his career as a prophet. And then thirdly, you can say it any way you want to. Failure's not final. God is a God of a second chance. God's arms are open wide to uh, those of us who Uh, get lost in the wilderness. Say it any way you want to. But this morning, where you sit, whatever you've done, whatever's in your mind, whatever uh, uh, confusion or hurt that there is, He is a holy God whose arms are open. And we'll receive you with grace and mercy and forgiveness. And we'll love you and walk with you. That's the God of Elijah. That's our God. Failure. Not. Final.